In this podcast, I will discuss five approaches to influence strategy. They overlap with one another and are mutually reinforcing. All five approaches apply to influence in the realm of power competition with China, Russia, and Iran, and also encountering violent extremism. First, as a quick reminder and a throwback to lesson one, the particular definition I am using for influence for this session is as follows. Producing a desired outcome with apparent materialization without apparent materialization of hard power by indirect or seemingly intangible methods. So without use or threat of force, without exercise of formal authority, unseen or insensible, perceptible only in its effects. First is reflexive control. Influence an adversary to want to make decisions designed by you, designed by that is if you are the protagonist or the influencer, without the target's knowledge of the influencer's plan. This is a central idea to influence warfare, and what is behind the concept is not original to Russia, as sometimes claimed in the literature, and is as old as human history. And its title is unlikely used in Russian military and political warfare doctrine today. An example can be using disinformation and deceptive intelligence to get an adversary to come to a certain decision. Another example may perhaps be the use of agents provocateurs. So let's say the rival of a left-leaning labor uh, party may sneakily or with stealth put up a Marxist flyer or Marxist flyers in the area where the Labor Party will soon hold a rally in an attempt to paint them, that is to paint the labor union, as dangerous communists, providing fodder for, for media outlets and to perhaps dissuade mainstream, moderate, non-Marxist party members who may no longer wish to show up even as the Labor Party denies affiliation with those Marxist flyers. Second of the five is Zugzwang. It's a German word for when any target's countermove necessarily forces the target to weaken their position. That is, it forces an adversary or competitor to weaken their position on their own volition derived from chess and some other games as well. An example is an urban anti-government terrorist group conducting an attack. The government intervenes, putting a city under siege. Innocent people get caught in the crossfire, or at least are put in danger and are under duress, with the result sometimes being more overall support for the terrorist movement and the terrorist movement's anti-government narrative becoming materialized in the eyes of formerly moderate citizens. Third is the idea of telemachus, Greek for conducting warfare from afar. It underlines the occasional necessity of conducting influence from another province, another country, or another continent than the target exists, so as not to create unnecessary attention or instability with boots on the ground. As an example, following the Second Anglo-Afghan War, that is between 1878 and 1880, the British officers there attempted to pay off and influence tribal elders and government officials 
from the safety across Afghanistan to eastern border. This included influencing the foreign policy of Emir Abdul Rahman in Kabul in return for subsidies and stipends for projects. The hope was that a lack of overt presence, of overt influence, and a lack of British boots on the ground in Afghanistan would not cause tribal rebellion against the British as it did during the first two kinetic wars in Afghanistan. The Telemachus approach may also include this idea of by, with, and through squared. That is to train or educate, formally or informally, government and military entities to conduct influence campaigns by, with, and through their own civil society or provincial governance systems to train or educate stabilizing systems. So it's train the trainer to train the trainer on missions on phenomena that have to do with influence. An example is those training what was called at one point the district stability framework, also called the stability analysis framework, and had several other titles over the years in West Africa and also in Southwest Asia. It essentially was U.S. and European persons training national and local law enforcement to stabilize a particular area, to deny areas to violent extremists and to deny those areas to other malign actors. And this is through a holistic framework that empowered local leaders. These law enforcement professionals train then development and security representatives in other provinces who then in turn did train the trainer exercises to local tribal and village leaders who would then train those in their own villages, valleys, and mountains. Fourth is a slow burn slash thousand subtle picks approach. Each disparate tactic is indirect, subtle, and unthreatening and will unlikely raise alarms and is often legal in the target country. Each tactic may offer a degree of deniability of direct interference. In its totality, there may be strategic effects only understood by the target eventually. An example is, has been arguably China's influence approach, which differs to each region, country, and pro, uh, provincial areas. But this is China's influence approach to Australia, which may have been a victim to a slow burn thousand pick approach. In its totality, there are signs of potential strategic effects. Each tactic, though, is a differing gray of subtlety, risk, deniability, indirectness, and insensibility. For example, Confucius Institutes, that some academics have claimed center criticism of Beijing. They persisted until fairly recently. That is, they persisted robustly until fairly recently. Quiet, direct, or indirect donations to political campaigns from Chinese citizens. The tracking and warning that is to tow the Beijing line of Chinese nationals and Chinese study abroad students. News outlets in Mandarin that parrot state media biases aimed at Chinese Americans that prefer to read Chinese. 
reported pro-Beijing community leaders of Chinese-Australian associations, political parties and corporations dependent on China for cash in Australia, pushing back against policies that might otherwise hinder Chinese influence. Programs in China to train reporters and essayists, incentivizing them only to tout the CCP, that is the Chinese Communist Party's positions. The fifth approach I want to talk about includes stealth and deception. A little bit on stealth, or what I would consider a little bit on stealth and subtlety. Most influence campaigns at the strategic, global, and regional levels cannot be classified. There might be one or two tactical lines of effort that are covert or clandestine, but a US-led campaign, for example, will likely require strategic lines of effort with wide working groups, many of whom cannot work within any official classified setting. For example, an effects-based strategy cell in Latin America may very well include, at the very least, Department of Justice, multiple country teams, USAID, the Department of Agriculture, Drug Enforcement Administration, especially for identifying influencers in the so-called black markets and illicit economies of the region, NGOs, IGOs, labor unions, and more. It may best to keep it may be best to keep efforts out of formal reporting when lawful, when appropriate, and when possible. At the least, you do not want to bring unwarranted attention to your ends, ways, and means. For example, more advanced, the more advanced the encryption in your planning communications, the more this might attract unwanted interest and intrigue adversaries. Sometimes simplicity and simple in-person chats are best. Be subtle in all communications, plans, and execution. President Lincoln's genius in influence warfare was, in part, because he never kept any records of certain influence activities and always had a cover story that even historians bought until relatively recently. The mindset and spirit of stealth is best summarized as an illustration and analogy attributed once to Louisiana Governor Earl Long. Don't write anything you can phone. Don't phone anything you can talk. Don't talk anything you can whisper. Don't whisper anything you can smile. Don't smile anything you can nod. Don't nod anything you can wink. An example of the subtlety and stealth includes meetings between the Vatican and White House during U.S. anti-Soviet influence plans in Poland from 18, excuse me, from 1982 to 1989 that were often under the auspices and premise that the meetings were in fact only about Latin America and Lebanon, when of course they were really about anti-communist influence plans in Poland, specifically the support for the Solidarity Labor Movement, which we'll talk about later on in the year. Whether they be meetings in the Vatican or in Washington, D.C., in D.C., oftentimes it was over a cappuccino between key political leaders of both parties and the Archbishop of D.C. at the Archbishop's residence. Again, always under the guise, if you will, of other subject matters, which oftentimes were also talked about. So there's some pl plausible deniability or some 
truth, if you will, if asked about their meeting, that they can say, well, we talked about Lebanon, we talked about El Salvador, etc. Now, this idea of deception is a continuing effort. This is a step further, or at least in addition to stealth and subtlety. That is, hide all ways, means, and ends while conducting influence, because influence is by definition indirect and or insensible. Deception is the other side of the influence coin. Deception can come in many forms to include, but not limited to, confusing, distracting, or overwhelming, for example, a disinformation, an adversary or competitor. Operational security is rarely enough. Given enough time, an adversary will likely overcome your security procedures. Also keep in mind the paradox that the more secrecy, higher the classifications, the more caveats, the less access allowed, will warrant unnecessary attention and extra effort from an adversary, as I had previously mentioned. So in other words, do not hide an important operation in an obvious, quote-unquote, vault, just as you should not hide precious heirlooms in an obvious safe in your home, as that will draw most of the attention and effort of would-be burglars. An example of this type of deception and distraction is Macron's 2017 election team versus phishing attacks on the morning of the election. They created a collection of fake email accounts with terabytes of false information. Volumes of files were made public immediately following phishing attacks on the morning of the election. These may have slowed down the cyber attack and subsequent would-be strategic influence attempts. There were honeypot accounts. There were sensational stories such as the campaign using Bitcoin payments for synthetic narcotics. And there were more subtle stories, metadata suggesting Russian intelligence had occasionally edited some campaign documents, all of which are false. According to the campaign afterwards, and I quote, we did this massively to create the obligation for the media to verify something that could not be done in the period of one day. The deception plan, again, obviated the possibility of Russian malign influence. And finally, on this fifth point, on stealth, subtlety, and deception, we have a phenomenon called deception warfare. Feed an adversary false intelligence, backed up by distorted, corroborating, unclassified reporting, so that the adversary wastes time and resources on a misunderstanding of your goals, strengths, your weaknesses, your will, your composition. False intelligence and information may be most effective when they play to already existing biases, already existing misunderstandings the enemy has about you. In general, one wishes to make weaknesses look like strengths and strengths look like weaknesses. According to Edward Epstein, and I quote, in deception war, adversaries can be expected to constantly attempt through peaceful means to disrupt each other's economic and military alliances, misdirect each other's energy on unimportant projects, and undermine each other's political and moral authority. Victory 
will come not from a single decisive battle, but from the accumulation of gradual changes in the global balance of power. One superpower might find it lacks the allied resources or will to compete with one another. This assessment itself might be tantamount to losing without fighting. In Deception War, and the quote continues, one side distorts the intelligence of the other. Specifically, it alters its rival's perceived reality in such a way that the rival neglects its true interests and pursues bogus ones. For example, it may mislead it to treat allies like foes and foes like allies. Thank you.